This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We are today discussing the book of Kohelet, which has got a terrible English translation, Ecclesiastes. Um, and uh, I'm going to talk a bit about Kohelet because it's one of the hardest books to talk about. It's a philosophical work. Kohelet is one written by one of the smartest guys around, Shlomo Melech, King Solomon, is known for his wisdom. And it's a very hard book to learn because he's like, he's going through different hypotheses. What is the main purpose of life? He discusses what it's all about. What is life all about? And he goes through the hypotheses one by one and crosses them off the list. Okay, that's the book of Kohelet. It's an amazing work. Uh, it's hard to read um, because it's, uh, it doesn't make sense sometimes. He's appraising some things, and then after a while, he crosses it off the list. So let's just go through it very quickly in terms of the structure. So there are 12 chapters in Kohelet. There are 12 chapters in Kohelet. Um, it's interesting, number 12 is a very interesting number in Judaism. It is the number of the tribes. Why 12? So I have a theory. It's the permutations of God's name. The 12 months of the year. Every month of the year is one of the permutations of God's name. You know, God's name, you gave up, has four letters. Four letters, so it's factorial four, but they're two letters the same. They're two Hays in God's name. So divided by two, factorial four or four factorial divided by two is 12. So 12 months of the year. Each one has different permutations of God's name. And maybe that's the reason the 12 tribes, same thing, different permutations of God's names. All, everyone, we're all manifestations of God's name. The question is, which, which name, which permutation of, of God's name are we? Certain permutations are more chesed-oriented, which is kindness. Certain combinations are more gvura, judgmental names. So it's interesting also the months of the year. Depending on the month, some months have very uh, chesed uh, permutations. Some months have very gvura permutations. And so it's interesting. There are some Sidurim that do have these permutations in the Musaf of Rosh Kodesh. So interesting. Okay. So why does Kohelet have 12 chapters? Maybe that's the answer. It's permutations of God's name. But it's interesting. The book of Kohelet is most famous for its first line. Hevel Havalim Amar Kohelet. Vanity of vanity says Kohelet. Hevel havalim, hakol havel. Everything is vanity. Not a very enticing kind of uh, way to start a book. And most people just read that line and they say, you know what? I don't know if it's worthwhile reading this. It's all about futility. And life is all about futility. If that's the case, let's uh, end off now. So it's uh, like kind of, uh, Shlomo Melech starts off with a very, like a shocking state. He wants to use shock tactics. He's using shock tactics to wake us up. He's trying to wake up human beings and say, you know what? We're all running around in our lives doing various things. And you know what most of us are doing? It's all worthless. What we're doing is all worthless. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. It's a very important. And he continues, all is futile. So it's seven times he says the word heaven, which is heaven literally means breath. And breath is like a vanity. Why it just comes and goes, doesn't last. Breath is not lasting. And where is it used first in the Torah? It's used for one of the sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Hevel. Hevel is vanity. Why was he called vanity? Why was he called the breath? Because sure enough, a prediction came true. Chava's prediction came true. 
Hevel was killed by his own brother. It didn't last very long. So he's like a breath. It just came and he went. Unfortunately, Hevel, that's the first time Hevel is used. But Shlomo Melech made this word famous or infamous. Hevel is vanity. And it's listed seven times. How is it listed seven times? He uses the word seven times. Hevel, Havalim, Hevel is one. Havalim is two because it's in the plural. So that's three. Hevel, Havalim. Again, he says three. Hakol Havel. Seven times use the word Hevel to tell us seven days of the week. Everything we do is Hevel. But then he qualifies it. And this is a very important qualification. Uh, and he, he qualifies it with a very interesting combination. And he says... What benefit does it come to a person for all their struggles and toil under the sun? So rabbis explain what do you mean under the sun? There are two kinds of toils. There's the spiritual toil, which is over the sun, over nature. And there's a physical toil, which is under the sun. So heaven, havalim, vanity of vanities is referring to our physical toils. Our physical endeavors, he says, don't waste your time on physical endeavors. Okay, we need to get involved in physical endeavors, but make sure we do it for the right reasons. The right reason is the spiritual underlying reason. What is the purpose of life? This is a point of Kohelet we're going to come to. Is the purpose of life is spirituality, serving God, doing God's commandments. That is the total summation of life. Everything else, if they're not involved in this area, in other words, a person just eats and drinks for the sake of eating and drinking and being happy and being merry, that's heaven, that's vanity. A person eats and drinks and is happy because they're celebrating a mitzvah, a bar mitzvah, a brit milah, they're celebrating a wedding, a Jewish wedding, they're celebrating a finishing shas, they're celebrating a siyum, they're celebrating one of the holidays, Shabbat. That is not physicality, that is physicality for the sake of spirituality. And that is not heaven. That is great. That is fantastic. It's above. It's amazing. It's amazing. To transform the physical into the spiritual, that is the purpose of man. So just heaven, havalim, just having a good time, which we're going to talk about, he talks about. So what profit does man have for all his labor, which he toils beneath the sun? What profit do we have from all our physical labor? That is the problem. The physical labor, which doesn't have any spiritual connotations, Worthless, it's vanity. But once you make the physical, spiritual, you know, today we're just doing a Mishnah. We're on some kids, I'm teaching one of the kids. We're doing a Mishnah Brachot. It's towards the end of the ninth chapter of Brachot, which is the end of the Mishnah of Brachot, the nine chapters in Brachot. And over there it talks about loving Hashem with all your heart. So the Mishnah explains how you love God with all your heart. By the way, it doesn't say heart, it says, with all your hearts, two bets. So the rest, so the rabbis explain the Mishnah with your good inclination and your bad inclination. We have to love God with a good inclination and a bad inclination. So how do you love God with your bad inclination? What is the bad inclination? The answer is the bad inclination is the physical desires. But going to love God with their physical desires. How? So the Mishnah explains by using one's physical desires to serve God. What does that mean? When a person eats and drinks, they shouldn't, they shouldn't just eat and drink for the sake of their pleasures. They should eat and drink to be strong, to serve God. person sleeps. How do you love God with your evil inclination? I'm tired and exhausted. Well, love God. How does that love God? I'm going to sleep in order that I should get up refreshed. So I can go to the minyan, go to pray, do physical, do spiritual things, and use that physical energy for spiritual things. That is not vanity. 
That is the purpose of life. That is the purpose. Using the mundane in the service of the spiritual. That is what credit's all about. The mundane by itself is total vanity. We see this today around us. Uh, Western pleasure-seeking civilization. The Western pleasure-seeking civilization. It's not for a higher purpose. Is vanity in a sense. We see people just just killing themselves, you know, literally killing themselves. They live day by day, having all the pleasures, having all the fun and emptiness, total emptiness, spiritual, a spiritual wasteland. That is Hevel Habalim. That's what Shalom is telling us. That is Hevel Habalim. You see, the physical world is temporary. We're going to talk about Kohelet. So now it's interesting. I'm just going to go through some of the comments over here. There's, there's a lot of comments. So the rabbis in the Talmud, we're going to talk about Shabbat. They were very troubled by this book. They were troubled because it seems to be very depressing. There's nothing valuable under the sun. Everything is vanity. It was turning a lot of people off. People couldn't understand this book. They wanted to put this book in the Geniza. The Geniza is where you put old Jewish books. They didn't want to burn it up. They want to rip it up. They want to put it in the Geniza. And then they said, you know what? But it has a one redeeming factor. This book has a redeeming factor. And the redeeming factor is the last line of the book. Some of the matter. The last line of the book. When all has been considered, fear God and keep his commandments. And that is your whole duty. That is the whole duty of person. That's the climax of the book. So the rabbis say in the Talmud in Shabbat 30b, the rabbis say, it's really this book, the purpose of the book is to lead people to the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal of life is to serve Hashem. The ultimate goal of life. We have to keep reminding ourselves with all the vanities around us and all the distractions around us, the cell phones and the internet and this and that, yeah, all the distractions today. We have to remind ourselves what is the ultimate goal? What is the ultimate goal? We must never forget the ultimate goal of a person. And that is the value of Shlomo Melech's this book, Kohelet. The value is to tell us and repeat to us over and over again, what is the ultimate goal? Everything else is futile. The ultimate goal is to serve Hashem. So Talmud explains that person striving is futile. Only this goal is for success in matters that are under the sun, as we talked about. But if he strives to advance in Torah and affairs of the spirit, which precedes and surpass the sun, then the activities are hardly futile. The book of, the book of Kohelet teaches a person should not be deceived by the dazzling splendor that blinds so many people toward reality matters in life. A person must maintain a sense of values and always recognize that person as the creature with a godly soul must aspire to higher goals. We have our godly soul. We mustn't forget we have to aspire to higher goals. So Ramban, Nachmanides, the famous uh, Spanish commentator, he says there are three main themes in this book of Kohelet. Number one, Shlomo Amalek, the very wealthy king, who knew what opulence was. It says silver in Yushalayim was like stones. There was so much silver in Yushalayim. It was like stones. He had so much money, wealth, power, prestige, uh, opulence. He proclaimed that all these pleasures are fleeting and valueless without a spiritual goal. That's number one. That's the... Okay, we're going to talk more about that. He was in a position to tell us, I've tried everything. I've tried every physical pleasure in life, and I came to the conclusion, you got to trust me. I tried it. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Don't invest in it. It's a false pleasure. 
Number two, spirituality is eternal. The soul is eternal. A person must recognize that their health and prosperity should only be used in the service of Hashem to grant them a greater spiritual life in the world to come. Number three, we are faced with a troubling question. Why do good people suffer and bad people prosper? That's also a theme in the book. Now, the answer is we can only know the answer when we know and understand all the elements on which God bases his decisions, which is impossible for human being to know all the elements involved. You know, it's interesting also the Gemara Brachot says, just like a person makes a bracha on something good, they have to make a bracha on something bad. What does that mean? That means we don't know what bad is. We don't know what good is. What seems good might be bad. What seems bad might be good. We don't know. It's like going to the dentist, right? Seems very bad. I don't know. Sitting in the dentist's chair is not a very happy experience usually. And it seems like a very bad thing. But the candies before that seem to be good. The chocolate cake seems to be very good. You get the chocolate cake. It leads to the drill. And the drill leads to fillings which help mend the situation. So it's really upside down. You know, human life is just upside down. What we view as good could be bad, and what we view as bad could be good, and that's what Shlomo is talking about. We are not in the position to examine God's world and how God judges people. We don't know what good is. We don't know what bad is. We see one frame, and we try and imagine the whole picture. We can't see the whole picture. Only God knows the whole picture. We can't take in all the different variances. Then God's uh, judgment and, and God's what happens to a person, we have no idea. A person must maintain their sense of values and always recognize that human beings with a godly soul must aspire to higher goals. We must all aspire to higher goals. We have a, a spiritual soul. So number one is the opulence. King Solomon knows the opulence. He says the vanity of physical things without a spiritual component. Number two is spirituality is eternal. We don't recognize that Physical things should be used in the service of God. Number three is why do good people suffer? Why do wicked people prosper? And the answer is we don't know. We, we're not in the position of God. We don't know all the variables. We cannot understand God's justice. The level of understanding will only come about when the Mashiach comes and we're in a state, the world is in a state of perfection. So let's continue with Kohelet. So uh, we just talked about the opener the opener of Kohelet. And uh, Kohelet tells us, he, ho- he tells us, Amel kol rechush, a person who just strives all the time to get wealthy. You know, wealth is like a big thing today. We always admire the richest people in the world. Elon Musk and uh, Bill Gates, who's trying to get rid of his wealth, he says. And uh, all these big, big, uh, big, sh- uh, big shots, and we're always admiring them. What are they doing? They're so successful. What advice do they have for the regular person? And Sean Miller comes along. He bursts the bubble. He bursts the bubble. He says, this is not an end play. A person should not run after money. And he says some beautiful lines over here. just want to quote to you some of his lines. Straight away, he says, God gives the sinner this idea of gathering and gathering money, gathering money. That's the idea Hashem gives the sinner to keep a person occupied in this world with physicality. That is a sign. Interesting. So unless the person is giving away, obviously they're making money, they're giving it away, they're investing in Siddhartha, which we're going to talk about as well. 
And then he continues in chapter 2, verse 27. Uh, His eyes will not be satisfied with wealth. A person who loves silver or money will never be satisfied with money. That's an amazing line. I love that line. The person who loves money will never be satisfied with money. It'll never be enough. How many billions does a person need in their bank account? I have no idea. How many houses can a person live in? How many cars can a person drive? You see these wealthy people collecting cars. Amazing. People collect watches. People have these watch collections. I knew a guy who had a massive watch, watch collection. So now what do you do with how many watches? How many watches can you wear every day? How many watches can you wear in a lifetime? Think about it. How many watches? So 365 watches a year. And maybe guy changes his watch. He doesn't. He doesn't wear them. You buy these fancy automatic watches that you got to buy a machine to shake them so they can keep rewinding. It's amazing how much, you know, people don't just, don't get it. Just buy one watch, two watches, three. How many watches can a person buy? It's amazing. And that's what Shlomo points out. A person into materialism. Materialism will never be enough. Even this is vanity. We have a concept Shlomo mentions in his book. Uh, he says there's, there's riches which is kept for a person for their evil, for their ending. When some riches can attract attention, can cause people to steal from them, kill them even on the way to muggings happen. People are killed for their wealth, for their Rolex watch. This is a very, very uh, depressing kind of thought. Just like a person comes from their mother's womb naked, so too they will go back into the grave naked. The person can't take it with them. However much you know, the pharaohs thought they're going to take all their wealth with them, Shalomir says, I know better. The pharaohs couldn't take their wealth with them. You know who took their wealth were the grave robbers. And you know the biggest grave robbers were? The French and the British. All their beautiful stuff is in their museums. You go to the British Museum, you see all the... There's a whole room. I can't believe that room. It was like 60 pharaohs in that room. 60 different pharaohs. They even say they have the pharaoh of the crossing of the sea. He's in that room in the British Museum. And it's a room full of pharaohs. It's a wild place to go and see. And you see the, the, the chokhmah. You see the wisdom of Shlomo Melech. He says you can't take it. You come to the world naked. You go back naked. There's nothing person can take. So all these things that we have, we collect in our lifetimes, are baubles. We can't take them with us. All it can do for us is make life comfortable and help us to serve Hashem. That it should be the goal. The goal is, will this thing help me in my service of Hashem? Or will it not help me in my service of Hashem? If it helps in my service of Hashem, I get closer to Hashem through this thing. can make my life easier and I can have more spare time to study Torah, to do mitzvot to invest in spirituality, then it's worthwhile. If it doesn't help me spiritually, it probably is not worthwhile. That is one of the themes of Kohedet, one of the beautiful themes of Kohedet. He tries to pull away with the wool from our eyes. He tries to pull this, this tremendous urge for materialism from our eyes. He tries to pull away this urge for desires and lust away from our eyes and say, listen, this vanity, my friends, don't waste your life. Don't waste your energies running after these things which have no future. There's no help in these things. They're not going to get a person anywhere. Okay, so that is basically the outline of uh, Shlomo Melos uh, Kohelet. 
and he goes through various themes, and then he talks about the value of mitzvah. I just want to quote some lines about a mitzvah. Shomer mitzvah, a person who keeps a mitzvah, lo yeda will not know any evil. We have to know the value of a mitzvah is schar mitzvah, but high al-malika, the rabbi says in the Gemara, there is no reward for a mitzvah in this world. Sounds very strange. There is no reward for a mitzvah in this world. What does that mean? Rabbi Dessler in Strive for Truth, amazing work of Musar. Rabbi Eliyahu Dessler explains the reason why there's no reward for a mitzvah in this world is because it doesn't fit in this world. The reward for one mitzvah is so great. And this world is so limited. Reward for one mitzvah cannot exist in this world. This world is not big enough to contain the reward for one mitzvah. But a person who keeps mitzvot will know that there's no evil attached to it. Even though it looks like it's evil, it's not evil because it will be turned into good. Hashem will make everything good. Gam tova, everything will be good in the end. So shomer mitzvah, keeps a mitzvah, will not know evil. The value of a mitzvah is inestimable. And the value of a mitzvah a person can get is he eats the, reaps the reward in this world and it means over there it says the interest payments in this world. But the main payment is in the world to come. We can only get interest payments in this world of mitzvah, but we can't get the main reward. Just the world is not big enough to contain the reward for one mitzvah. So the more reward for mitzvah is kept for the next world, which is eternal. That's where the reward for a main mitzvah is. So, but a person who keeps the mitzvah, he said there's a side benefit. will not know evil. A person who keeps the mitzvah will not know evil because they're busy doing good and they'll know good, not know evil. I know, Koyla tells us, Shlomo tells us in chapter 8, he says, I know there will be good for those who fear God. I know there'll be goodness in the future for those who fear God. I know, I guarantee to you, there is a future of goodness for those who fear Hashem. This is the last line he said, which is in chapter 12, verse 13. The end of the matter is, Listen to God, keep his commandments, and that is what humanity is all about. That is what everything else is all about. So the Gemara, the uh, Midrash says in Devari Rabbah, this world, the physical world, looks great and looks fantastic around us. And if anyone else would have said it's vanity, we would have laughed at that. You don't know what this world's all about. You never have a chance to enjoy this world. But if King Solomon, who had a chance to enjoy this world and enjoyed everything in this world, and he was the richest, one of the richest people around, would tell us that it's vanity, we have to believe him. Why? Because he had it. He had it, and he experienced it, and he tried it out, and he's telling us his observances. He was a social scientist, one of the first social scientists. He experimented with everything in this world, and he tells us the result of the experiment. That's what credit is all about. Credit is telling us Shlomo Melech's social uh, experiments and telling us his results is everything is vanity if it's not in the service of God. If it's not used for a spiritual purpose, not lasting, it gives you momentary pleasure, but not a, a, a pleasure which is going to last. The only everlasting pleasure is spiritual. So the physical is used for good, is used for ethical purposes, meaningful spiritual purposes. It's good. It's fantastic then it's going to last. But everything else is not going to last. Now, it's interesting because the Chidah, Rav Chaim Yosef David Azulai, a famous biblical commentator, and uh, Talmudic commentator, and Halachist, 
and Kabbalist, uh, lived in the 17th century from Israel, from Yerushalayim, Irak Kodesh, and eventually ended his life. He lived a long time and he moved to Italy. And eventually they moved him back. It's interesting. They moved him back. It's a, it's a very wild story I was just listening to today. That at many times I heard it, uh, this is a secondhand account, uh, that they actually moved the body of the Chida back to Israel. It's a very interesting story. I just want to tell you the story. The Chida, 17th century, uh, Israeli rabbi moved to Italy. He was collecting money for the, the community in Jerusalem. And uh, eventually he got old. He died in Italy. And in Italy, they wanted to move his grave because they wanted to build the government, wanted to construct something on the site. They moved all the Jewish problems over there. So the chief rabbi in Israel heard of it. And they said, let's move him to Israel. So they took his bones. They bring the bones to Israel, lands in El Al Plain. And they're at the airport, and they're praying around this coffin with this uh, holy man inside the coffin. And there are Mordechai Eliyahu, who was chief rabbi at that time, tells the Chida, he says, rearrange your bones and the structure of a skeleton in the way that the body is arranged. And all of a sudden, they hear in the casket, they hear bones moving. So this is a wild story. It says one of the rabbis there fainted straight out. Oh, everyone over there was terrified to hear the bones. Except for Mordechai was not terrified. And the bones moved in the coffin. They hear boom, 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 boom. They hear things moving around all by themselves. And obviously the Chida was rearranging his body the way it should be. And that's the way they buried him. He's buried in Yerushalayim, Yerakodesh, in Haram Ulchot, right next to Ramodachai Eliyahu, who was instrumental in bringing him. So you can, you can go to both uh, sites in one, one, one shot. You can, you can pray to two of the great rabbis. Uh, you pray to Haggad at the grave of two of these great rabbis. Anyway, so the Chida, he says, if I'd have said this, if I'd have said everything this was vanity, all these physical pleasures are vanity, and you know it, believe me. Why? Because they say, Rabbi, you never experienced physical pleasure. How would you know it is vanity? But King Solomon experienced everything. He's the one who tried, and he tried, he's he doing all these uh, social science experiments. He tried it, and he says, it's vanity, you have to trust him. So that is the idea of the, the book. The book is telling us what's worthwhile in life, which paths in life are worthwhile. I tried everything. I tested everything. I'm telling you my scientific observation. This is King Solomon, the great scientist. I'm telling you all my social science experiments, and I'm telling you the results of my experiments. Now, what's interesting is this Megillah was in debate for many years. The rabbis debated, should we include it in Tanakh? Shall we not include it in Tanakh? The Gemara says in Baba Batra, which books were included in the Tanakh, in the canon, in the 24 books, holy books in Tanakh, Torah and Tavim. And eventually the rabbis decided, based on the last line, yes, we have to include it in Tanakh. But it took a long time for them to decide. Eventually they included it in Tanakh because of the last line he said, the value of life is keeping God's commandments, getting closer to God. The spirituality is the value to life. And the, the Gemara says this in Shabbat, Daf Lamed Amabet. The Midrash also explains that the rabbis wanted to hide the book of Gera. They want to put it in the Geniza because it could lead to people denying God. It could lead to people being so depressed by the, everything is vanity, so then nothing's worthwhile, nothing's worthwhile, I'm going to rebel against God. So it could lead to, a, the rabbis were worried about this. So that's why they debated this issue. Shall we include this book? It's a dangerous book. And uh, also as parts of the book, which seem to imply that he tells us, he says, Young man, be happy in your youth. 
Enjoy yourself in the time of your youth. Go in the ways of your heart, in other words. So it could be misstrued as King Solomon's advising people just to, to do what they want to do to, uh, to enjoy themselves. And therefore they're worried about this. What about Don't go after your heart and you're after your eyes. So they were scared that people might take this advice literally and go off the path. And that's why they wanted to hide the book. But then they said, no, the last line straightens everything out. So the, pro- the problem is, the person's going to read the whole book to the last line. That's the problem. You know, some people don't have patience to finish the whole book. And they say, you know what? I read most of it. I got a gist of it. I can tell you what it's all about. But since they never, never let the last line, last chapter, they have no idea what the book is all about. Because at, at the end, King Solomon switches everything around. He turns everything on its, day, on its head. So what's interesting is, when do we read this book? in the Jewish calendar, and the answer is on the most unusual festival, Sukkot. Sukkot is a festival of, we call it Hag Simchatenu, it's the festival of our joy, and we read this book on the festival of our joy to bring us back down to earth. True joy is only spiritual joy. True joy is spiritual joy. There's no other joy that lasts. Listen, uh, last night, someone came visiting from Highland Park, a very good friend of ours, took us to a nice restaurant, had a very good meal. And you know, the, the joy of that meal did not last into the night because it sure enough led to indigestion and uh, <laughs> I had to go take some pills. So, so it's interesting, that is the joy of eating. The joy of eating is very temporary. When the food is in your mouth and it's going down, then you, you enjoy it and then it's gone. That's it, it's gone. So. It's a very temporary pleasure. That's what Kizal is telling us. But if it's a, a pleasure for the sake of spirituality, eating to be strong to serve Hashem, then it's worthwhile. Then it gives a lasting meaning. That's a very important lesson to remember when we eat. Why am I eating? I'm eating to serve Hashem so I can be strong to serve Hashem. It's very important. So something small like that can make the whole physical experience into a spiritual experience. And that's what a person's going to have in the back of their mind. Why am I doing this business deal? Because I want to support my children. You know, every year when I paid my taxes, when I calculated, you got to go through this. If you're self-employed, you have to calculate your how much you owe the IRS and how much you made. So it's good to write down a line over there. And that is the reason why I'm working hard is I'm going to support my children, send them to yeshiva, teach them to be ethical, teach them to be moral, to uh, support myself, which is an act of not taking charity to be independent. It's an act of not taking charity, which people don't talk enough about. It's uh, very important. We talked about uh, in Mishlei that a lazy person should go look at the ant. Shalom Melech advised the person to be industrious. Don't be dependent on others. Don't live your life with dependency. Try and be independent. So that's a mitzvah in itself. Not taking it from other people, not troubling other people. It's called reverse chesed. Uh, what's reverse chesed? Reverse chesed is not letting other people do chesed to you. Not taking chesed from others. This way, I'm, the fact that I'm not taking is I'm not a burden on anyone else. Not to be a burden on anyone else. So when a person does their taxes, think about why am I working so hard? Where, what is the purpose of the work? What is the purpose of the money? It's uh, to learn Torah, to be a good Jew, to keep spiritual things, to do mitzvot, etc., etc. And this way, everything becomes a mitzvah. All that work, all that labor, that's what Shlomo Melech is saying. Otherwise, it's just vanity. There's no purpose. It's just eating, just to, eat, just to have food, 
in the, in the stomach, if it's just uh, earning money for the sake of just playing around and being able to, you know, someone told me before they became Bob the Shuba, every Friday night they would go in the pub and just uh, hang out. And he says, when he became Bob the Shuba, his wife was very happy. Why? Because she saw <laughs> he started staying at home for Friday night, doing kiddush, eat around the table. Uh, it's a tremendous impact on the on the family. Tremendous impact, just staying together around that table on Shabbat and making the whole the whole issue of eating and drinking become spiritual. Singing the Shabbat songs, you're elevating all the physical items, and that's the path of God. That's what Shlomo Melech is all about. That's what Kohelet is all about. And we said the minhag is to read this book on Sukkot because that Sukkot is a happy time, and this book is all about true happiness, not the happiness of frivolity. But true happiness in the service of Hashem. So he says, when you're happy on Sukkot, the Sukkot was the happiest time of the year. The farmers just brought in all their crops. They're wealthy. Um, everything's in the silos. They're guaranteed a certain amount of money. They can live in opulence for the rest of the year. And, and he says, listen, you have to know what true happiness is. True happiness is not the money in the bank. True happiness is what you do with it. That's the true happiness. So using it for spiritual things is the, the true goal. That's, that's what King Solomon is telling us. Don't forget the spiritual goals. Don't forget in life the spiritual goals. And that's why we read it on Sukkot. That's interesting. The Vilnagon says, read it from a scroll, handwritten scroll like a Megillah of Esther, just like read a Megillah of Esther on Purim. He says, read it. The Megillah of Kohelet and the Shul, some Shuls will do it. I know in Highland Park also some Shuls do it. And read the Megillah Kohelet with a bracha on Sukkot. Um, Sephardi, we don't do it. We do it without a bracha. We read it from a book. We don't read it from a scroll. Different minhagim, but the minhag is to read the book of Kohelet on Sukkot. So different Megillahs are, are associated with different festivals. Shir Hashirin is associated with Pesach, which is interesting. Shavuot is a book of Ruth and uh, Tisha B'Av is a book of Echa, Megillah of Echa. And so called associated book of Kohelet. Interesting. Megillat Kohelet. It's a Megillat, it's a scroll. It's called the Megillat Kohelet. So the Vodagon says, read it from a scroll. That's not a custom, but different customs. Interesting. And uh, so we read it on Sukkot. Or, because he mentions the numbers seven and eight, so some people read it on Shvini Atzeret. So that's the custom uh, some people have to read the book of Kohelet on Shvini Atzeret, the day after Sukkot. It's the eighth day of Sukkot, which is not really part of Sukkot. It is Shmini Atzeret. It's a new festival, and that's some people read it on Shmini Atzeret. Okay, good. And a lot of people comment, a lot of commentaries on the Book of Kohelet, trying to understand it. it. Became a very classic work of philosophy, of Jewish philosophy. Other other religions adopted it as well as they're part of their philosophies. Uh, it's very hard to understand, as I mentioned, but the theme. Well, said we talked about the themes going through the book of Kohelet. Let's talk about more of the themes going through Kohelet. And uh, so it's interesting. What is the benefit of a person with all their struggles? Interesting. What is the benefit to a person with all their struggles under the sun? So that's what the rabbis explain. What, is, what good does a person get for all their things they do? So that's a very hard question. What, what benefits do we get? The answer is, we said, physicality under the sun. Not much benefit. It's a temporary kind of benefit. We can't take that benefit with us. 
So that's the benefit that Shlomo is talking about. The only benefit, the true benefit, is the benefit over this. And what is good? What is good? Yes, what is good? Hakol Hebel, he says, everything is vanity. Everything physical is vanity. And that is a very depressing thought. And uh, that is uh, something which we have to... Okay, so let's just go through some of the, some of the chapters. I just want to start with... Uh, some of, the, some of the famous highlights of the head, let's just go through some of it. So first he talks about labor, we talked about one generation comes and one generation goes. You see this around, uh, you know, one of the rabbis uh, in my shul before me used to say, I see people on three occasions. Uh, obviously people didn't show up in shul. He says, well, hatch, match, and dispatch. So hatch is when they're born, Matches when they get married, and dispatches at the end. So he was hatch, match, and dispatch. That's when I see people. He didn't even include bar mitzvah. That's interesting. So he just hatch, match, and dispatch. That's what Shlomo Menach says. Dor holech, dor ba. It's a cycle. Birth, death, birth, death, birth, death, birth, death. It seems like it has no point. One generation comes, one generation goes. The sun rises, sun sets. Uh, all the rivers flow to the sea. The sea never gets full. And then they come back, the rain falls, it's like futile. Everything is futile. It just keeps on going. Nothing really changes. All words are wearying. One becomes speechless. The eye is never satiated with seeing. The ear is never filled with hearing. Whatever has been will be. Whatever has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun, even though we say technology. Human nature hasn't changed. With all the technology, we're just using technology for all the worst things like murder and uh, war, unfortunately. Uh, so unless human beings change, and Shlomelech guarantees nothing changes. Human beings will not change. Nothing has changed. The way we were then is the way we are now. We have to change ourselves. So Shlomelech says in, in chapter 1, verse 13, I applied my mind to seek and probe by wisdom. This is, as we said, the social experiments he was doing and he says i've seen all the deeds done beneath the sun you know all is futile and a vexation of spirits a twisted thing cannot be made straight and what is not there cannot be numbered now what is he talking about so rabbis say a person misses a certain mitzvah they cannot make it up doesn't miss saying the shema one day right it cannot be made up ever again that's it missed it person misses these spiritual opportunities. That's what he's talking about. Missing spiritual opportunities cannot be made up. Baruch Hashem, we have this concept of teshuva, but normally without the concept of teshuva, a person cannot make up. We have to keep on making sure we don't miss these spiritual opportunities. Sometimes people knock on the door, have a spiritual opportunity for you. Sorry, I'm busy. I don't have the time. I don't have the effort. I don't have the, the strength to do this. So a person misses the spiritual opportunities. What is twisted cannot be made straight. With much wisdom comes much grief. This is very fascinating. A person who increases knowledge, increases pain. The more we are aware of what is going on, the smarter the person is, the more they can see the vanities of life, the more they can see. And, and it causes pain if they can't see the spiritual pleasures. They don't get the spiritual pleasures. It gives them physical pain. So then he says, in chapter 2, I would experiment. These are the social experiments, he said, with joy and enjoy pleasure. And then he says, 
even the pleasure turned out to be futile. And uh, I ventured to stimulate my body with wine and my heart was involved with wisdom to grasp the folly. I built myself houses, this all the experiments he did. I planted vineyards. I made for myself gardens and orchards and planted every type of fruit tree. I constructed pools, which to irrigate a grove of young trees. I had many servants. I owned more possessions, more cattle and sheep than all my predecessors in Yushalayim. I amassed even gold and silver for myself and the treasure of kings and of the provinces. I provided myself with various musical instruments with every human luxury, chests and chests of them. Then I grew and surpassed any of my predecessors. Still, my wisdom stayed with me. I was still wise. I was wealthy and wise. What more can a person want? Whatever my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not deprive myself of any kind of joy. Indeed, my heart drew joy from all my activities. And this was my reward for all my endeavors. And then he says, I looked at all the things I'd done and the energy I'd expended in doing them. It was clear it was a futile and a vexation of the spirit. And there is no real profit under the sun. Wow, that is so depressing. He's, he works so hard. I turned my attention to appraising wisdom with madness and folly. What can man come after the king do? It has already been done. I perceive that wisdom excels folly as light excel, excels darkness. The wise man has his eyes in his head. You know, there's a famous, famous saying. A wise man has eyes in his head, whereas a fool walks in darkness. So what does that mean? A wise man has eyes in his head. The Mishnah says to a Lord, a person who can look at the future. A wise man, the eyes in the head. The head is the highest part of a person that enables a person to see further. Imagine a person, if God would put the eyes of a person in his feet, wouldn't be able to see two inches above and wouldn't be able to walk very far in the dark. So a person who has eyes in his head, a person can see the future. So what is a person who has eyes in his head? One of the, one of the answers in the Mishnah is a person who borrows and pays back. Why? Because no one's going to lend money again to a person who does not pay back. So a person who doesn't pay back, he doesn't have eyes in his head, can't see the future. And then he has this beautiful chapter three, which became a famous pop song of all things. The birds, everything has its season. And there's a time for everything under the heavens. A time to be born, a time to die. This is chapter three of Koelet, very important, where people don't know the source. It's a biblical source. It's a Jewish source. It's our high, it's a king, King Solomon in Yerushalayim, who coined these, these beautiful, this beautiful song. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to wreck and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to wait and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to shun embraces. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to discard. A time to rend and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to, to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain then has the worker by his toil? <laughs> the end is all the same conclusion. There's be nothing better for a person, he says. He made everything beautiful in its time. Hashem made everything beautiful in its time. He has also put an enigma into their minds so that man cannot comprehend what God has done from beginning to end. What is the purpose of life? Shlomo Melech says it's an enigma. Okay. I realize that whatever God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be subtracted for it. 
And a man should be in awe of God's work. That's, that's the problem today. The problem today is we always embellish man's work, but we don't embellish God's work. God's work will stand forever. Sun, the moon, the stars, billions of years, and whatever we make, you know, the cars, the, uh, the motorbikes, the uh, fridges, and everything man creates, just temporary, um, futile. What has already existed will exist. And God always looks after the pursuit. This is a very important line. People are being pursued by others. Injustice, don't worry, Hashem is in charge. In a place of justice, there's wickedness. In a place of righteousness, there's wickedness. I muse, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, where there's a time for everything and for every deed. So words, don't worry, God will sort everything out. We don't know what's going on. God will sort everything out. And then he continues and he says, all go to the same place. The biggest leveler of humanity is death. All originate from dust and all return to dust. This is a famous line we say at every funeral. Whatever, right? From dust we come and from dust we return. Whoever perceives the spirit of a person is the one that ascends on high, while the spirit of the beast is one that descends down to earth. So there is a difference between a human being and an animal. That we have a spiritual side to us that ascends after death, and they don't. So we have to improve the spiritual life. We have to invest in the spiritual side, because that is all we're going to take with us. Beautiful. And then he talks about rivalry, business rivalry, other kinds of rivalries. And he says, better is one handful of pleasantness than two fistfuls of labor and vexation of the spirit. Beautiful idea. It's good to work with happiness than work too hard and, and be knocked out and, and anxious and, and stressed out. You know, how many people today work and they're not stressed out? So maybe today we're living at home and we're working at home. So maybe we're not so stressed out. I don't know. Could be worse. I don't know. Okay. Then he talks about solitariness. You know, today one of the worst punishments is solitary confinement. Right. And I contemplate futility under the sun. A lone and solitary person. There's neither son nor brother. Yet there is no end to his toil, nor in his eyes ever satiated with riches. Nor does he ask himself, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of goodness? This too is futility. A person doesn't have anyone to live for. Doesn't anyone to give their wealth to. And yet they are continually toiling and toiling and toiling. Two is better than one. It's better to be together with someone, a friend, a good friend, a spouse. And be alone. This is conclusion. It's a very important conclusion. Two are better than one. They get a greater return for their labor. For should they fall, one can lift the other. Woe to the person who is alone when they fall and there is no one to lift them. Boy, we need friends. We all need friends. We need relatives. We need people with us to help us. If two sleep together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Well, where one can be overpowered, two can resist attack. And a three-ply cord is never easily severed. It's a very famous line. Uh, right? A three-ply cord will not be easily severed. The rabbi says, talking about if three generations in line learn Torah, the Torah will always come back to them. It's a three-ply cord will not be broken. If three generations are righteous, righteousness will come back to them. We see many people today, Balik Chuba, there's no reason why they came back to Judaism. And the real reason is because they have what's called merit of their forefathers. They had the three generations 
righteous people, three generations of the Torah, the Torah will come back to that family. And now we come to a very famous line, better is a poor but wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to take care of himself. So who is this wise youth and who is this foolish king? The rabbis explain the wise youth is the Yetzer HaTov, is the good inclination. The foolish king who no longer knows how to take care of himself is the evil inclination. Why is the evil inclination called a foolish king? He's foolish because he's rebelling against God. And he's a king because everyone listens to the evil inclination. And the wise youth is wise. He knows he can't rebel against God and get away with it. But he's a youth because no one listens to him. So it's interesting. This is an interesting parable. A wise, a poor youth and an old and foolish king. That's amazing. Parable for the Yetzirah Tov and the Yetzirah for the good inclination and the bad inclination. Be not rash with your mouth and let not your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. Let your words be few. Very good advice from a wise person. Don't talk too much because too much talk can get a person into trouble. And when you make a vow to God, do not delay paying the vow. Okay, very important. We try not to make vows. We say, without a vow, without a vow, without a vow. Uh, fear God. With all the dreams, futility, and idle chatter, rather fear God. Okay, and now it talks about why the, why the, why the righteous suffer. It says, don't be astonished. In, in the end, there is a higher power who watches. And uh, the advantage of owning land, he talks about the lover of money will never be satisfied with money. He talks about um, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. Okay. Interesting, a little bit about it, the economy. And then he says a very famous line that we say all the whole uh, burials. Tov shem, meshem and tov. A good name is worth more than good oil. And the day of death is better than the day of birth. Wow, this is, this is a very strange idea. It's better to go to the house of mourning than go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all people and the living should take it to heart. You know, why did God create death? And the answer is without death, we would not achieve so much. People would just say, you know, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow, tomorrow. Well, I just have a good time. There's no end to life. What's the problem? I have all the time in the world. I could procrastinate. Sashem says, you know what? I'm going to give you a cutoff. There's a cutoff. The only problem is we don't even know what our cutoff is. One of the doctors in our shul, Dr. Abu, used to say, every human being is born with an expiration date. <laughs> it's born right there. Expiration date. No one knows the expiration date. As Rabbi Eliezer says in the Talmud, he says, repent one day before you die. So they asked the students, asked, they said, Rabbi, how do we know when we're going to die? So they said, therefore, repent every day. That's the answer, repent every day. And that's what Shlomo Meta says over here, that a person should always keep their garments clean. Now, which garments are you talking about? And the answer is the garments of our soul. Who are we? We are the garments of our soul. We are not our bodies. Our bodies we leave behind. The spiritual garments of our souls that we, that is who we are. We are the intermediaries. A human being is an intermediary between his body and his soul. That's called the garment of the soul. Always keep it clean because the more a person sins, the garment of the soul gets dirtied and then it requires to be cleaned. And we don't want to go there. We don't want to go and be clean. We don't go to the spiritual washing machine. It's rather keep the garment clean in the beginning.
So he says it's better to go. This is a wild thing. A good name. The idea of a good reputation. What is the best thing a person can get? He said it's better than good oil. You know, today the price of oil is going up every day. There's a shortage of oil, gasoline, the price of gas. So Shalmanah says, never mind. Never mind the price of oil. The best thing you can get is a good reputation. That is the best thing. That will help you more than anything else. The only thing a person can take with them is their good reputation. Hashem looks at a person's reputation. How did you behave with other people? What do people say about you? And a person, you know, that was the famous story of Nobel. Alfred Nobel, he was the inventor of gunpowder of uh, TNT. And he's reading one day, he's reading a newspaper on the train. And hey, presto, it has in the newspaper his obituary. And they're writing all kinds of bad things about him in his lifetime. So he went, he says, what? This is what they're going to say about me? So when he got off the train, he says, number one is I'm alive. He sends him a message. By the way, I'm alive. You're wrong. I didn't die. Number two is I'm going to start the Nobel Prizes. So they'll have good things to say about me when I die, when I really die. So a good name, a good reputation is very important. And it's better to listen to rebuke of a wise person than one to listen to the songs of fools. Uh, it's very hard to listen to one, to a person being rebuked by someone but if it's a wise person rebuking you, you can learn from it. You can improve. Whereas the praise of fools is worthless. A fool is praising, oh, you're such a good person. You're such a good guy. So listen to what he says. For the, like the crackling of thorns under a pot. You know, wood. If you make a wood fire and it's just thorns and it's not going to burn a good fire. It doesn't make a lot of heat. just like crackles a lot. So he says the laughter of fools doesn't get a person anywhere. Oppression makes the wise foolish and a gift corrupts the heart. Right, the idea of not taking gifts, of not getting corrupted. Uh, judges in Judaism are not allowed to take gifts because they're not allowed to take bribes. Like gifts corrupt a person's heart. Amazing. The end of the matter is better than its beginning. Patience is better than pride. Do not be hastily upset. Anger lingers in the bottom and the bosom of fools. This is a very important line. Uh, let's. I want to talk a bit about it before we stop. Um, so he says, uh, I just want to read in Hebrew um, about anger. Um, he has to say, where is it? Uh, it's in verse 9. Okay. Anger rests in the breast pocket of fools. You know, today, what do we put in our breast pockets? And these men, in their jacket pockets, they put their wallets, credit cards, money, whatever it is, in the breast pockets, the most accessible pocket. Shalom says the fools, they keep their anger there. Because everything that happens, they always retort with anger. That's a fool. Always take it out. It's the quickest thing to come out is anger. And that's one of the ways you can measure a person is how do they react? Are they act with anger? Do they act with patience? Are they hasty? So that is a very important idea, not to get angry, not to be, uh, this last week's parasha, Moshe Rabbeinu hits the rock, he gets angry and he loses the ability to go into Eretz Israel, Ramon said, because he lost his temper. So interesting, anger, and I want to go through this, this is so beautiful, the, the words of me are so beautiful, maybe we'll continue next week, we'll just finish off, go ahead at Russian next week, please join me, same time, same channel. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.